Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hey everybody, it's David Pluff. Welcome to Campaign HQ. Well, we are within two weeks of Election Day. Of course, the election's happening. Uh, I'm recording this on Tuesday and we're almost to 40 million votes that have been cast in the United States. Um, and, you know, some states are getting uh, close to 50% of their overall 16 turnout. So um, there's a lot we can learn from that. Um, the data I've seen is pretty encouraging in terms of uh, the percentage of newer voters, third party voters that are voting Democrat. Um, there's a lot of data modeling that happens. So obviously we don't know exactly the ballot you cast, but there's a lot of belief about what you might do. And, uh, you know, I think overall those numbers look good, good for Democrats, but, um, not so good, uh, that we don't have to sweat everything and, and make sure that, that we continue to, uh, volunteer and, and encourage people to send in their mail ballots. And of course, there's still going to be a lot of people left to vote on election day, which is always nerve wracking because you've run out of time. They either show up and vote uh, or they don't. But so far, like what we're seeing in early vote, um, we have a presidential debate um, on Thursday, Trump saying he's going, although he's whining and complaining about everything from um, the moderator who his campaign agreed to, to the topics, um, uh, to the debate commission being the Biden debate commission. It's all pretty pathetic. It's what's also interesting for someone who kind of clearly uh, sees himself as a strong man uh, to be this weak and, and pathetic and complaining about everything under the sun and his unfair treatment, um, you know, is uh, is not helpful. Um, and again, I can't divine any rational closing argument. Um, every speech and every interview he gives um, is filled with conspiracy theories and Hunter Biden and uh, vote fraud and um everything under the sun except for what people care about. I mean, he's actually out there saying, um, you know, people are tired of COVID when we know they're not. We're, we know they're getting increasingly concerned. I saw a poll today where seniors in the country uh, believe the worst is yet to come, not that it's behind us. So Trump is completely out of sync with the electorate that he's asking to rehire him. Uh, and the big thing is the big thing, how he uh, botched the pandemic response, how he continues uh, to... Um, 
understate its threat, um, engaged in wishful thinking to be generous, lying about it uh, to be uh, more accurate. So um, it's a bizarre place to find us. Uh, having you know studied every presidential campaign I could and, and been part of a bunch, um, you know this is when you want to be at your best. It's when you want to be hitting your peak and and really speaking to those voters who are still undecided or maybe leaning your way or your opponent's way. A lot of people aren't sure they're going to vote. This is when you want to be your best. And actually, you know, uh, it's not going to be in the Hall of Fame or presidential political performances. But you know, Trump at the close of the, of the last campaign, really from the last debate to the end, um, to the extent he ever hit his stride, it was then. Um, and and you're seeing the complete opposite this time. I actually do believe that every time Trump is out, he's hurting himself. And when you're behind in a race, that's a pretty tough place to be because you have to gain ground. And if you yourself uh, are not helping your position, um, then the only thing you can count on is your opponent completely self-immolating. And, you know, we're not seeing that from Joe Biden. Quite the opposite. I think he's campaigning in a very uh, surgical way. We see Kamala Harris down in Florida, uh, in Duval County, critical county in northern Florida. The day early voted uh, started there in person on Monday. Uh, you know, just uh, talking to people about the things they care about, the economy, healthcare, pandemic response. So this debate is far and away, uh, I would really say, other than the work all of you are doing, uh, the really only important date left in the campaign from a candidate standpoint, um, because it is Trump's last chance to try and um, change the trajectory of this race. I'm not sure he can. So I am fascinated as an American citizen, as a student of presidential politics, having helped prepare candidates for presidential debates. What do we see? Um, is it the same performance he brought to the first debate? Is it slightly more muted? Now, apparently, the candidates are going to be muted now for the first two minutes. Uh, we'll see if Trump, you know, stomps around and, and gets angry about that. But but what what does he do here? Is it just going to be, you know, Hunter Biden and, um, you know, he's running around the country now saying Joe Biden's going to get rid of meat uh, and oil and God. I mean, just crazy stuff that, again, I think any voter uh, that might be available to him is turned off by that. Um, or is he going to, you know, have a disciplined economic message? Um, and, and even if that's what his team decides to do and he agrees to do it, can he execute it on debate night? You know, Joe Biden, on the other hand, I think, um, you know, just has to continue what he's doing, speaking to the American people, uh, making sure people understand uh, how Trump has mishandled the economy um, and the pandemic, uh, really talking about the disparity in their economic approaches. Biden's focused on uh, you know, people in poverty trying to get in the middle class, people in the middle class. Uh, Trump only focused on people at the top. Uh, hopefully, um, really bring up um, and and dramatically uh, talk about the differences in approach to the climate change uh, and and what the, a Biden presidency could mean to our hope uh, to actually get on the right side of that battle. Uh, Trump will obviously not just do nothing; he'll continue to make it worse. So it's a really important debate for Joe Biden. It's clear that the first debate helped Biden. And I don't think that was just because Trump was a stark, raving, uh, lunatic, rabid dog, although that was part of it. <laughs> Biden, com by comparison, looked sane and competent. But, you know, Biden looked like, um, you know, a president. He looked like someone who um, uh, was competent, reassuring, empathetic, concerned about the American people. Um, so my, you know, view on politics is when you're ahead— you know, you don't want to take reckless chances, but you certainly don't want to play it safe. And I think Biden's got the chance in this debate to actually strengthen his position. I don't think there's much strengthening to be done because I think he's kind of at the high watermark 
in a lot of these states. But but I think there's uh, more he can do to cement vote and, and increase turnout. So um, I look at this as not just preventing Trump from doing what he wants to do, uh, but hopefully Biden will take advantage of this last opportunity uh, to really cement a pretty solid uh, place in the race. Um, so much of the campaign now is what's happening in these battleground states with volunteer activity um, to talk to the remaining persuadable voters. Um, so many people are voting by mail. Campaigns have data on who's applied for those ballots. So many of you are probably making this call, these calls, um, um, you know, uh, encouraging people to send in their ballot, recruiting volunteers, preparing for election day. So I really wanted to talk to somebody who's responsible for all that work. So I'm excited today. Our guest is Cindy Lynn. Um, she graduated from the University of Michigan uh, just this past May. Um, she um, uh, is doing all the organizing. She's responsible for uh, parts of the Ann Arbor area in Michigan. She's a field organizer, so she's got responsibility for volunteer recruitment, hitting all their voting targets, uh, you know, manning virtual phone banks. She's actually doing all this work from Staten Island, which is kind of the story of 2020. So she is going to give us a good window uh, into what the field organizers who are responsible for um, electing Joe Biden, um, winning Senate races, helping Democrats up and down the ballot, how they're doing this work virtually, how you can help them, what they're seeing on the ground. Um, so I'm really excited to talk to Cindy Lynn, who's probably got the best bird's eye view. She and her thousands of colleagues uh, around the country who are the heroes of this campaign, along with all of you volunteers, the field organizers, what they're seeing, um, what they're still concerned about uh, two weeks out, um, how this virtual uh, approach uh, has presented challenges, yes, but uh, but also opportunities. Um, and so I'm really excited um, for you to hear directly from a field organizer who's as close to the action as anybody can be. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Cindy Lynn, who's helping us win the state of Michigan. Cindy Lynn, welcome to Campaign HQ. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be here. So Cindy, you are... Um, a field organizer. I think field organizers are the most important job in American politics, uh, particularly in a presidential campaign. And you're doing it in maybe the most important presidential campaign um, in American history. But you're doing it a little bit differently. So talk about the area that you're responsible for uh, in Michigan. And of course, you're having to do a lot of your work virtually, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually am in New York City right now in my childhood home. I'm organizing in Ann Arbor, though, and specifically Ward 5 and Ann Arbor Township. So that area is absolutely incredible. The people that I've met there are literally the most passionate people I've ever met before. They uh, they know what's up. They know exactly what, what, what is happening, why this race is the most important. Um, but definitely doing this virtually has been, you know, a little bit different than what I had expected. We don't have a field office. Um, in that area, we don't, um, we're not doing a lot of organizing in real life, but a lot of it doing it virtually has been really re rewarding in a lot of different ways for sure. And you're finding you can reach the people you need to reach. You can recruit the volunteers you need to recruit virtually. Yeah. And I think that, you know, even though we don't have a field office, it's still a lot of things may be different, but also a lot of things are the same, I would say. So for example, you know, obviously not having a field office, we have to train our volunteers a little bit different. Um, we do have to make them a little bit more formal on Zoom. Um, and, you know, our one-on-one -on -one meetings, I would imagine that used to be in coffee shops and areas like in the neighborhood are now on Zoom or on FaceTime and with volunteers. So I think that just um, the concepts are still there about what campaigns normally are. Um, there is just a little bit more structure now and less spontaneity. But I think that, again, the traditional parts of 
you know, building relationships with people and still reaching them where they are is still there, just done in different ways. And again, I'm just doing it virtually. Now, I'm not going to ask you what your vote goal is because that's a state secret, okay? You, But field organizers know how many votes they need to get out of their area to contribute to winning the state. But tell people like all the work that goes into that. You've got registration. You've got volunteer recruitment. You clearly are trying to talk to swing voters. So just talk, you know, somewhat expansively about what your responsibilities are. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that, again, Um, If you asked me in May, right, it would be completely different to what we're doing now. I think that right now, a lot of the work is uh, managing Zoom phone banks because we do still have staging locations, even though they are virtual on Zoom. Um, So now during my days, I do have to be a staging location director for it. So basically launching the Zoom and making sure that my volunteer leaders and my fellows are all good and they have everything that they need to succeed and make that phone bank go smoothly. But then at the same time, we still have to do a lot of recruiting Because as you can imagine, you know, we're still obviously two weeks away from election day right now. And so even though we're really, really ramping up to election day, we still obviously need to recruit a lot of more people and always bring more people into the fold as well. So, um, you know, making lots of phone calls in one day, making sure that we're bringing more people in every single day and meeting people where they are, because we do currently have a lot of different ways that they can get involved. In the past, it was just on the phones um, because in May, you know, we weren't sure what the pandemic was going to be like. We weren't sure, you know, when it would be safe to do in-person work, if it ever was going to be safe. So I think that a lot of the focus was on the phones and making sure that, you know, we got as many people as possible to make phone calls, to um, to identify Democrats, to, um, to have persuasion calls, things like that. And then eventually we also moved into text banking, um, relational organizing, right, using apps like the Vote Joe app. To make sure that we are connecting to people and um, that and that they're bringing you know five more friends along, which is like the neighborhood model that you literally invented. Um, so so definitely, and um, that is part of the day to day as well. And as well as now, we're able to do a lot of in person door knocking too, which is really cool. Um, so there's just a lot that goes on during the day and recruiting people for all those different type of, of methods as has been really interesting. But I think definitely just making all those phone calls as possible in one day because every phone call is like an opportunity to get more people involved. Um, so that it has been, you know, what the day to day has been looking like so far. And how have you found the reintroduction of door knocking? Are people, A, um, your volunteers in your region, um, Uh, willing to do it? And B, what's been the response at the doors? The in-person door knocking is a really new thing, especially in Michigan, at least. Um, So they, our campaign has identified, you know, that it's safe enough now and that they have the materials that they need, like PPE masks and gloves. And they're giving all that out to volunteers before that they are doing their launches. And they're really, um, training them well to make sure that the health precautions, like everyone is taking it seriously. Um, So that has, I believe has been going really well. They've been able to reach a lot of new people that we weren't able to reach on the phones. Um, Personally though, I think, um, you know, I'm still working specifically on virtual organizing because there's still lots of people that we need to reach in that way. Um, So I don't have that much information about the door knocking um, actually, but I have a lot more um, focus on the virtual um, organizing. So part of virtual organizing must be in Michigan, like in every battleground state. There's a lot of people voting early who've applied for absentee ballots. So you must be doing a lot of what we call uh, in politics, um, you know, chasing those ballots, right? So you know that, you know, Cindy got her ballot five days ago, but we, it hasn't been sent in. So you're trying to reach Cindy, right? Just to make sure, because you think Cindy's going to vote for Joe Biden and Gary Peters, but um, you know, the ballots aren't in. So talk about that. I always found, um, I, you know, one of the first places I worked in politics with Iowa, which even back then, which was like, you know, ancient times, you know, had a pretty healthy vote by mail. 
And it was such an important part of politics because you're like, this person has a ballot. We think this person's going to vote for us, but they haven't turned it in. It's like a crisis situation. Yeah. Uh, but it's also action. It's also very actionable, right? So talk about that program. Yeah. I think the in-person or the, the ballot chases are really incredible, especially because in 2018, Michigan just changed their laws where anyone is able to be an absentee voter, no matter like any reason whatsoever. So I think that the whole focus on ballot chases has been even more, you know, incredible than it was been in. I think a lot bigger than it was in the past. So definitely we are chasing them. We are definitely, definitely making sure that everyone who has requested a ballot um, actually is returning them and not only returning them, but, but doing so early. We, we want to make sure that everyone is voting early because, um, you know, I've been saying to my volunteers and to literally everyone that election day is not the first day of voting. It's the last day of voting. And so, you know, making plans with people to actually submit their ballots is so, so important. So chasing all those in, I think that a lot of people are, are seeing it as like a safety net as well, because, you know, obviously, even if you're able to, to request that ballot, if you still want to go in person, you still can, right? Like you could take it with you and go in person. So I think that having, you know, just even the opportunity to request it for, again, no reason at all, just in case is like really incredible and hopefully could uh, increase the voter turnout by a whole lot. So yeah, we've, been, we've just been making lots of those phone calls. We still are um, every single day, making sure that everyone who, again, who has requested it actually brings it in um, and, and brings it in early so we can, so we can uh, get in those votes as soon as possible. So your um, Ann Arbor is not ju- not just a university. Yeah, uh, it's a you know a, a big community and, and and lots of people. But obviously, uh, you do have a lot of people who work at the university. Students. Yeah. My understanding is students are back. They're doing a mixture of in person and remote. So how's that been? Uh, you know, because obviously that's usually such a huge foundation of volunteer hours. Uh, you know, in a university community, is those students. Well, obviously, most importantly, we need as many of them to vote as possible, but. How are you finding organizing them for volunteer efforts? Yeah, so I used to be the acting campaign or the campus organizer um, in the in the first couple of months. And then we actually have a new separate cr- program where um, we have campus organizers specifically. So we have a person who is doing a, their full-time job is organizing on campus. So actually, we are like pretty far removed from it. I am in Ann Arbor, but... A lot of the university, again, is like really separated as well. Um, but I think that they really are focusing on completely different goals since they are a lot younger. Um, so I believe that they're focusing a lot on voter registration, you know, making sure that everyone is actually registered. And like you said, they are doing a lot of in-person as well as virtual organizing. I think that they're really focusing on the relational aspect as well, because, again, making sure that they're contacting their friends because there's so many of them on campus. Like uh, we always talk about the 10,704 votes um, that we lost in 2016. And that could have been closed alone in Ann Arbor, but also on campus. Um, that's what I used to say to a lot of folks that um, when I, when I used to be the acting, you know, campus organizer that we literally could have closed that gap um, yet yeah, on campus. So I think that they're really, really doing the best that they can there. Um, but again, like that is a total separate thing. So I uh, don't really have that much info about that either. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. That's really a smart approach um, just from a, from a focus standpoint. So uh, in, in the areas that you're responsible for, um, question one, um, Michigan, 
Um, as we saw, you just mentioned that the 10,000 plus votes, it was super close. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we see in polls anyway is you've got people who might have voted third party, some of these infamous Trump-Obama voters, um, you know, Biden doing really well with swing voters. Are you seeing that in your region too, you know, in the persuasion work you've been doing, you know, a fair amount of people who you guys had targeted as swing voters, um, you know, who've now decided to vote for Joe Biden? Hopefully they've done it early, but just talk about like the window you have uh, into the swing voter universe in Michigan. Yeah, absolutely. And then there, like Ann Arbor is really blue, but there also are lots of areas um, here where there are still, again, like lots of people who are undecided, um, still undecided, I would say. Um, but yeah, there, there are lots of those people. And I think that having those conversations, um, what I told my volunteers in the beginning who used to, you know, get a little discouraged that they weren't able to persuade someone in just one phone call, right? Usually with with people who have really strong opinions about things, they're not going to change their mind in one phone call, right? It takes, it takes more than one phone call. I would say it takes like three phone calls, but eventually every single time we have these conversations with people and every single time, like my volunteers share the personal stories with the people that they're talking to on the phone who may have, you know, completely different values in them when they're able to personally connect and they find, you know, one thing that they do have in common that they're really passionate about. And then they bring it back to Joe Biden and, you know, what, his campaign is doing and what we're really passionate about as well. Um, I think that they're able to move the needle a little bit left every single time. Right. And I think that's really important. So by the next time we have those conversations with them, we're again, able to find that connection. Um, and then again, move it a little bit left every single time. So I think that that's been how we've been trying to, to get those swing voters in, uh, into the field and making sure that they feel good about their vote as well. So again, I think just like putting in the effort to persuade people and to to put in the effort to to um, talk to them and, and, you know, have that long conversation if it is long um, and really putting in the work to to do that really, really is important because it's worth it. Right. Like because it eventually does work and they they will find so many things that they do have in common, but it does take time to do that. So, so that's what I've just been telling my volunteers. And I think it's been, it's been really amazing. Like we have talked to so many people who, you know, in the beginning of the conversation, you're, you, you thought, you know, there's no way, there's absolutely no way that this person is going to, to vote um, blue. And then they do by the end of it. And it's, it's amazing and it's so rewarding. Um, and I think that because it was only 10,704 votes, right. And it was only two votes per precinct. So when you have one conversation that you're able to persuade someone, it's like, wow, you literally you know, one more and, and you can change the whole election, right? So it's, it's just amazing considering how small the field margin was. I, I love this perspective, Cindy, and you're abs- that's, that's so important for people to understand. If you do four-hour shift and you think you only had an impact on one or two people, some people say, well, geez, that's not a lot. But when you put it into perspective, you just did, uh, and understand, well, there's thousands of other people just doing the same thing you're doing. That's already now right. the win number that we lost, you know, the last election by. It's, it's amazing. Exactly, yeah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
You mentioned um, the conversations, and I think it's so important to remind people it's never one conversation, right? right? It's but the conversations you're having. These voters are watching the debates and experiencing the campaign, and no two voters are the same. But these swing voters that you're getting in the Biden column, um, is it Trump's response to COVID? Was it, you know, finally seeing Biden and seeing that he's like a sane, competent, empathetic person? Kind of what are the main things driving these swing voters who are on the fence into the Biden column? Yeah, honestly, I think it's different for every single person because everyone has different things that they, you know, that are their top priorities, right, for how they vote or what's affecting their day-to-day lives. So that is why, like, for all the persuasion conversations, we always do ask them, you know, what is the issue that you are most concerned about right now? What is the issue that's affecting you and your family? And then when they bring up that issue, that's how we're able to, like, find that connection with them, right? Because you can't just assume um, that, you know, everyone cares about this or that um, because, yeah, because I think every voter is different and everyone has different experiences. So that's why we ask them. And then once we are able to, to know, you know, what they care about, why, why it's affecting them, because again, like we, we do have to listen to them, even though we have completely different values, but, um, or opinions, um, but that's how we're able to, to find that connection, right? Like once we listen to them and hear them out. So I think that, you know, yeah, lots of people were concerned about coronavirus. Um, a lot, lots of people were concerned about the economy. Um, just so many different things I would say. Um, and then and then our volunteers, what they're able to do is, you know, find that connection with them, hear them out, and then share, you know, oh, this this affects me too and my family. And, you know, this, I also really care about that. And that's why I'm supporting Joe Biden, right? And I think that's how we're able to have really successful conversations. But not only like, yes, sharing your own personal story, but also listening to them. I think listening is the most important part in these, in these conversations. Right. And so, yeah, again, I think, People have so many different things that they care about right now. I think it's hard to just generalize and say, you know, these are the two biggest ones. Well, that's also super important for people to understand. Yeah. Um, everybody's looking for the magic line or message. And um, usually, um, you know, to your point, uh, all these voters, they're human beings. They have different interests, different concerns. Uh, it's such a good reminder. So um, let's go from persuasion to mobilization. So I hope I'm wrong about this, but I've always believed in in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Trump's going to get a big turnout. Like he's going to he's going to produce his base. I don't think that's enough to win, but he'll do that. I hope I'm wrong about that. But in terms of what you're seeing, Cindy, in terms of the early vote, um, you know, some of the numbers you're projecting in your region. I'm not going to ask you to share specifics because that is your secret sauce. But <laughs> how, are, how, how are you feeling about turnout in your area? I think it's looking good. Um, I think Biden's looking really good here because a lot of my volunteers, when they share their uh, vote banking experience with me afterwards, they're always like, oh, I've spoken to so many people who have already voted. I've spoken to so many people who are excited to vote by mail. You know, so many people for the first time ever, they're voting by mail, um, or they're just really excited in general. Like, it, I, I feel like there's a lot of enthusiasm right now about early voting. Um, and I think that that's why these conversations we're having on the phones are so important, because there are so many people who do want to vote for Biden and for Kamala Harris, but they just don't know that they're able to do that early, or they just don't have the information they need to, you know, to, to get that vote out and to go to the polls or, or whatever method they're voting. Um, so I think that's why we're able to, to reach out to them. And, and the way that I see it is we're giving them opportunities, right? And we're giving them resources to make sure that they can make a difference in their own election, because it's not, it's not my election, right? It's not, it's not my, it's not only my volunteers elections. It's, it's everyone's election and everyone has a say in it. 
So that has been really amazing to see. But obviously, we are a battleground state, you know, like we are on the front lines here. um, And so we're going to fight. So um, (laughs) so our strategy is obviously to uh, not take any vote for granted because yeah, I think that this is fantastic. We have seen, you know, so many people voting early um, and it's, it's been incredible. I think the enthusiasm is just rubbing off on everyone, but we're also at the same time, not going to take anything for granted. We're going to, you know, still obviously do everything we can in the next 14 days um, and leave no doubt behind. Um, and we're going to, we have a plan we're going to execute it and we're going to go all the way to the finish line in, in the next two weeks. Um, and yeah. And I think that everyone is excited, but we're going to continue to work really, really hard. So it sounds like, you know, more than the average election, a lot of your voter contact does have an element of education, right? Right. You've got people who've never voted by mail before. Um, You know, I'm sure you guys are talking to people who say, I'm voting on election day. So you have to, Mm -hmm. you know, remind them to, you know, allocate enough time in case they're aligned. So how, I mean, how important have you found that uh, just answering people's questions, giving them education, as opposed to just don't remember to vote. It seems like uh, there's just an extra degree of care that needs to be taken on uh, making sure people vote accurately. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that if you change that perspective, instead of like, oh, I'm bothering someone with this phone call to like bug them to vote early. If you change that perspective to, to instead saying, I'm calling this person because I want to offer them resources to make sure that they, that they have everything they need to vote early or to, you know, to vote in general. I think that really changes just everything, right? Because yeah, it's true. Um, especially during this time when folks who normally would just go, you know, the day before election day or on election day, they live a block away from their polling site. So, you know, why would I go early? It's just times have completely changed, especially with the pandemic. People are, you know, they may just not want to go in person. They may not think it's safe. Whatever it is, you know, there are obviously different reasons why people want to do different things. But I think because it's all new and it's all different, yes, um, making those those phone calls and giving them that those resources, it is different um, and it is something that we need to focus on um, because especially with doing it on the phones, we are reaching a lot of people who normally, who don't even, who may have never even stepped foot in a field office. Right. Right. So, so those are the people that I think we need to share way more information about. And that's why we're able to reach out to them and then get them to vote early. Um, and so, and that's what I mean by bringing in extra people who never have been brought in before. Those people who may not live close to a field office or ever been involved in politics or no, just, you know, it's anything about voting in general. Um, yeah. So that's really important to us to make sure that we're educating people. And, you know, something that's so critical to a field organizer's uh, job and doing it as well as possible is good, clean data and lists, right? Yeah. So, um, are, are you finding that, um, you know, as, as it, as you get data from elections officials. And so, um, it's clear that Cindy did return her ballot and we are pretty, and we thought Cindy was going to vote for Joe Biden. So that votes in the bank. How are you finding the process of, of cleaning those lists? So you're not calling people who already voted. Yeah. So the way that I see is like, we're, we are calling a lot of people who already voted, which actually is, I think it's a good thing because now we, we have record that they voted and then therefore we, we won't have to contact them again. So yeah, maybe frustrating for a lot of people who, who may have been receiving those phone calls. But once we know that they are voting, they already voted, fantastic, then we're going to remove them off our list. And so, and then, yeah, and then I think that cleans up our list to begin with. And then, and then we'll get more people who, you know, who submitted that request to get absentee ballot. We've 
we will get lists of people who have not voted yet. And so therefore we need to contact them and make sure that they are voting early in person. Um, so I think that as we go on day by day, as we continue to get folks who already voted, we're going to remove them. We're going to remove obviously all the wrong numbers. Um, and it may be frustrating for some volunteers, but I just try to tell them that, you know, they are that all the data that they're collecting for us is really important, not just for this election, but also in the future, right? So a lot of the, the Democrats that we were able to identify during this election cycle is going to be super useful in two years, right? That there, it, there is always an important election happening. Um, so even, even just now, yes, it's so, it's so, so important, but they're also helping us for the future as well. So I was just trying to tell them that um, even with, if there's wrong numbers, even if there's, you know, people aren't home, it still is so important to be doing this work and cleaning, cleaning all the data lists, like you said, so, so that we can, um, have really, really good ones to start with next time. Right. So we're just going to continue to improve it day by day. Um, and I think that as long as I'm telling my volunteers that, and as long as I'm thinking that, yeah. So one of the things that's been unique about this election, particularly in a state like Michigan, you mentioned that people could vote by mail for the first time without excuse in 18. Um, so this isn't, um, you know, a state like Florida, you know, or even Ohio or Iowa, where you have a huge percentage of people voting early um, historically, but now you're going to have a huge percent voting early. And what's interesting about that from a photo organizer standpoint is the list of people you have to be concerned about for GOTV on election day is smaller, right? It's more manageable. <laughs> so just talk about that. I mean, do you feel that, you know, and, and you'll know, like, here's the number of people that we think are going to vote for Joe Biden in my area that I'm responsible for, uh, who did not apply for absentee ballot or, or didn't return it. Um, and so we've got to make sure they're all voting on election day. Do you find that having that universe be smaller um, is helpful to you in terms of, you know, figuring out how many volunteers you need and your confidence that you can reach everybody? Um, I would say that we are just honestly planning for a big GOTV regardless, right? Because you, you, regardless, right. what you can do, like, mm -hmm. yeah, planning for, for more is always better. I'm so um, happy so, to hear that. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, so like, even though everything's virtually, like, even for the Zoom phone banks that we're planning for actual GOTV, like, we are making sure that we have as many people, as many volunteers as possible, because in the case that, yeah, there's, there may be still so many people who haven't voted. We honestly, you know, you, you can't really know way ahead of time, honestly, right? You can expect certain things, but on the day of, it could still be completely different. So I think that we are planning and we have been planning um, for GOTV for, you know, as many people as possible, because if should anything happen, you know, I, at least I have all my volunteer leaders who are going to be on hand and they're going to know exactly what to do. And, you know, should the case be that, Oh, there's, there's way less people. That's totally fine, but they're still here. They're prepared. They're good to go. So, yeah. So I think that everyone is just preparing for absolutely way more, which is a good thing. Right. So, so we are feeling prepared and ready to go. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. So I'm curious, in your area in Michigan, your volunteers that have come forward, I, I want to talk about folks outside who can help you later, but the folks who've, you know, you've helped recruit or self-identified, um, 
I mean, just talk about, I assume you, you've had a lot of people who maybe never were involved in politics before. Yeah. You've even got, you know, former Republicans who are involved in a Democratic campaign for the first time. Just talk about kind of that composition of who's making the campaign happen for you in your area. Yeah, so I love my volunteers so much. They are so dedicated. And like you said, there's been so many people who have never done this work before. And especially in the beginning when we were only doing phones, I think that so many people were really excited to get involved because they didn't have to like, they don't really have to leave their house or anything, right? You could just log in even in your pajamas again and just like do the phone banking and do the work. So in the beginning, there were lots of people who obviously, you know, there's lots of people who are very excited. Yes, immediately. But then there are also people that you do have to convince. They, you know, I have so many volunteers who have said no to me, you know, one, two, three, four times. Right. And then, but then eventually on the fifth ask, they will say, yes, I'll do it. I'll try it. And then they do it and then they love it. And, and so, and then they come back again and then we, and then they become my volunteer leaders. So it's just incredible that seeing like that growth from, from May until now, there's so many people that would never have, you know, thought like they told me, Oh, I would have never, you know, been involved in this way before if you hadn't asked me or, or I would have never, you know, been a leader. I've never even, um, just expected to do that on this campaign, um, or in any campaign and for them to, to step up and do this really important work is just so incredible. Um, and all the opportunities that they're able to, to give moving forward is really cool too, because for me, what's really important is like building, an organization that can sustain itself way after, you know, way after I'm gone, you know, way after this election is, is gone for that so that they can organize themselves and that they have all the tools they need. So that after I'm gone and after this election is over, that they can still sustain themselves. And I think that that's what we've been able to do. I mean, like, that's how I'm, I'm here during the workday right now, because there is a Zoom phone bank happening right now, but my volunteer leaders are managing all of it. And, and it's so incredible because that was definitely not where it was where it was in May, but now we were, we were able to invest in them. We were able to train them and now they're all good to go. They're able to just organize themselves. And it's, it's, it's been amazing to like witness that since the start until, until now. Well, you're going to end up being lifelong friends with a lot of these volunteers. It's so amazing to hear your enthusiasm for them and the trust you have in each other. Um, and I'm wondering um, in terms of all the work you have to do between now and election day, um, do you have that covered with your local volunteer community? Um, if folks are, you know, want to help from out of state, is there still calls they can make? Kind of how do you assess the need for people? Because obviously most of America doesn't live in battleground states. So is there still enough people to reach where they can be helpful to you as well? Yeah. So I think that we are we're all set here. I think we're, we're doing really well in that and that we are able to reach as many people as possible, especially because on the phones, when they are doing their work and making those phone calls, it is a statewide thing. They're calling everyone across the whole state. So they're not only calling folks in Ann Arbor, they're calling everyone throughout the state. And so, um, and so for all the volunteers in other parts of the state as well, they are also calling statewide. So I think that we are all good and ready to go. But also we, you know, we always can have more people. We are, we are always constantly recruiting more people. Any out-of-state folks do want to get involved. We do have an out-of-state program as well. Um, and they're able to call right into Michigan um, as well. So we always have lots of opportunities for everyone. Um, but at the same time, we obviously are doing really well right now with who, with who we have, but we're again, always, always trying to get 
to get new people every single day. That's super helpful. No, I think that's so if you live in, you know, I live in California now, you're there in New York, there's things you can do. But, you know, you've built such a strong local foundation that it's really additive on top of that. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. So I feel very confident listening to you, um, and I'm sure, um, you know, your thousands of colleagues around the country who are organizing in their states would make me feel similarly confident. But having been a field organizer a long time ago, you're always, you know, worried about certain things, right? So what what kind of is keeping you up at night these days? Like, is it just a sheer amount of work? Are there certain parts of your area that you feel like you really need to shore up? Like, um, it sounds like you've got an amazing group of volunteer team leaders. So you, it sounds like you have the leadership, but like, is everything just on autopilot now? Or, you know, are there things that have you, um, you know, still concerned? Yeah. So in terms of the campaign, you know, I think everything is good to go, especially because, you know, it wasn't always like this. Like we, we built it to be this way, you know, since May. Um, so in terms of the campaigning, everything is good. But what keeps me up at night is just the idea that of, of election day in general, and just, um, you know, that there, there is a, anything could happen on election day, right? Like, again, there, that's why we are still working as hard as possible because there are no guarantees and we are that that's why this work is so important. And so I just think about my communities. I, I think about, you know, the people in the country, including my own communities, my Asian American community um, and other marginalized communities in the country who are really struggling and, and really um, hurting by this administration. And that's why that's why I'm doing this work, right? And that, that's why this work is so important to me. And that's why I, I think of it as a privilege to be doing this work because there are so many people out there who, who do want to get involved and do want to um, do everything they can, but they may be working like five different jobs and they don't have the time to, or you know whatever the reason is. So for me to have the opportunity to do this work and to fight for those communities, right? Like that is what keeps me up at night. And that is, you know, I think about them and I think about my family. I think about, um, just why this is so important and why we need to, why I need to wake up the next day and, and do this work. And obviously, yeah, it is, you know, it, it gets really hard. Obviously it's exhausting. That is real. And that is very true. And at the same time, right. It's not mutually excu- exclusive. Like, and at the same time, I'm really, really glad to even have the opportunity to do it because of, you know, who, who we're fighting for. So that like that, I would say is like what actually keeps me up at night, like thinking about those people. That's a good in- answer, Cindy. You may have a future in politics after all. 
So, Cindy, I'm curious if you have much visibility into what the Trump campaign is doing uh, in your area of Michigan. Are you able to see much activity, whether that's canvassing or you picking up phone call activity? What are they up to? I do remember back in either May or June, very, very in the beginning, um, they were knocking on doors. I do remember that. I think that one of our organizers had their door knocked way back when it was very, very much unsafe to do so. I do remember that they were knocking on doors. But other than that, I honestly have have not heard anything else that they're doing. I don't know if that's a good thing. Yeah, it is a good thing. Trust me, because activity gets picked up. So, uh, well, listen, I think it's pretty clear that they're concerned about Michigan. And, you know, if you look at their advertising dollars, um, they're putting them elsewhere. So um, that would be great um, because, you know, the truth is hopefully um, – you know, we'd be happy to win by a few votes, right? But if we win by a lot um, in a state like Michigan, the down ballot, um, uh, you know, import of that is massive, right? I always tell people in politics, it's obviously a tragedy to lose, <laughs> but it's also a tragedy not to win by as many votes as you can. <laughs> you know, if you have an opportunity to really run up the score, you know, it'll help us make sure Gary Peters goes back. We'll do better in U.S. House races, mm-hmm. state House races, county races. So, um, you know, if the Trump campaign is really not doing on the ground what we might have expected in Michigan, um, I think that's going to be tremendous. I know that Jen O'Malley Dillon and your state director, um, um, are, are telling you each and every day to ignore the polls and, yeah. and work as if you're 10 points behind. I'm just curious, because there are a lot of polls in Michigan that show Biden with a pretty healthy lead. Has that been an issue with you at all? And whether it's recruiting volunteers or when you're talking to people who aren't sure they're going to vote, say, well, Biden's going to win anyway, or are you just not finding that to be a factor? Yeah, I think that um, a lot of people are um, telling me that, oh, I've already spoke to so many people who already voted. Like, what's the point of making these phone calls then? Um, so yeah, I think that a lot of people think, oh yeah, you know, um, so many people are voting. Why are we contacting them? Like, why are we calling them so often? Um, but again, we wouldn't know that they're voting until we ask them. Right. So, and again, like going back to the listing and then we'll remove them. So that's what I've just been telling people that we still need to ask them because we obviously need those numbers and we need to make sure of it that they're voting already. Um, And then once we do get those numbers, then we can, fantastic, thank you so much for voting. And now, you know, we can take them off our list. So yeah, I've also been telling my volunteers the same thing that uh, Jen O'Malley Dillon tells us, like, don't look at the polls um, and just do everything you can because if we just sit back, um, you never know what's going to happen. Like we we can't just sit back for two weeks. We, We need to get to work. Um, because I know that when I woke up, you know, in 2016, similar to lots of people, I was just thinking, wow, like I, I could have done more. I should have done more. Um, and then I just tell my volunteers and everyone else that, do you want to wake up, you know, the day after election day, knowing you did everything you could, or do you want to wake up with regrets? Because, you know, thinking, oh, I should have called this one more person, or I should have, you know, volunteered this extra shift or whatever it is. So I think, yes, lots of people are excited that um, Biden is in the polls and, in, you know, high up in the polls. But I, I just try to, like, ignore that as well because there are no guarantees. And I just want to act like that so that <laughs> so that we, we, we do everything we can. That's such a calm, reassuring message, Cindy, you're sending an important one. Um, listen, my view is I'd love to see some of the polls tighten, not like crazy tightening, <laughs> uh, because I think that while that that would produce a round of Democratic bedwetting, um, bedwetting, um, you know, I think it would be helpful um, yeah. just so that nobody is overconfident. But it's but it sounds like you've got your squad of volunteers uh, in the right place. I'm curious, you know, um, Donald Trump seems to have a particular problem and fascination with your governor, Gretchen Whitmer. <laughs> 
you know, she um, has been under assault from him uh, for months now. Uh, she was obviously, unfortunately, um, the subject of a, of a, a plot uh, from domestic terrorists uh, to kidnap her. I'm just curious whether it's the people volunteering for you in Michigan, some of the voters you're talking to. How does that dynamic play out? I've got to think that, you know, very unique to Michigan, the fact that Trump is, um, you know, so much on the attack uh, towards your governor, to the state, really, that that's got to be unhelpful to him in terms of the dynamic in the state. Oh, everyone loves Gretchen Whitmer <laughs> that I've spoken to, and they are very, very defensive for her. Um, and yeah, I would say that everyone is so passionate about about standing up for her. And every single time, like, for example, if, if that when that news story hit, like that day of when I was recruiting lots of people that day, making phone calls, there were so many people that were so angry. And they were like, how can he say that? Like, I definitely want to get involved now, right? Like, like it, it really, it does change a lot of people's minds and, and really puts things into, into perspective. Um, because also Trump has visited Michigan a, a few times as well. So when he visited um, those same conversations, when I'm recruiting people, they will say like, I can't believe that he's coming here. You know, like I need to do this. I need to do that. Um, so I think it, it really gets people fired up. And I think that um, it, it just, it honestly energizes people even more to, to get involved and, and to do more work. Yeah, that's great to hear. Um, it would be... Um Extra special to have Michigan called relatively early um, and have that be one of the states that contributes to the certainty uh, that Donald Trump is a disgraced, uh, defeated uh, one-term president. Uh, I'm curious, you know, Cindy, you have an important Senate race going on as well. Um, and, you know, there's been some polls recently that that I think have concerned some Democrats because Gary Peters' lead there um, is not as large as Biden's. I think there's polls, you know, showing it, you know, 45, 42, some of them. Now, I remember I ran a Senate race a long time ago in New Jersey during a presidential year. It was an open seat Senate race and the polls there were like 38, 38 even our own, because, you know, people just didn't know the candidates well, but it was clear based on who the undecideds were. We thought we were going to be okay, and we ended up winning by 10 points. So is your sense of that race that, um, you know, because I think, uh, you know, the Republican is at 42-43. I have a hard time seeing him going from 42 to 50. And it would seem like a lot of the folks that are showing up undecideds in polls in that Senate race are people who are voting for Biden. But, you know, kind of do you have a view of the Senate race and how that's looking? We are just doing our best to make sure that everyone knows how important that seat is, because I think that a lot of people don't already know that, you know, obviously, if we're trying to get the Democratic majority in the Senate, it's it's impossible without, you know, reelecting Gary Peters. Right. And so I think like reemphasizing that because, yeah, lots of people I think are just really focused on the big name, you know, like Joe Biden presidency race. But then also, right, we, we do have to focus on the Senate and it is really important and it will affect um, you know, the day to day lives of, of Michiganders every single day. So I think just like saying his name so often and saying, yes, like here are his values. And he's very much part of our persuasion conversations as well. He's always been a part of our scripts. We've always talked about him as well. You know, for every single training we've done, we've always emphasized how important his race is too. Um, so, you know, similar to the same thing about, you know, ignoring the polls for that. I mean, like that's exactly what we're going to do as well. Um, and, ju- and just con- continue to reemphasize how important that seat is. Um, 
to to everyone that, that we speak to. That's awesome to hear that. I think that'll give people a lot of a lot of comfort. Um, so I'm curious, Cindy, you graduated from Michigan uh, just uh, the spring of 2020. Is that right? Yeah, I just I, my graduation was actually the second day of of work of, of this job. <laughs> so um, just talk to me a little bit about that. I mean, so here you are. Um, you just graduated from college during a pandemic. You're now, uh, you know, a field organizer responsible for some of the most important turf in America uh, to determine who our next president is, our Senate uh, composition and, and the future of the country and the planet. <laughs> so uh, like just to just talk about that, it must be I know it must. No, it must be. I'm sure, as you mentioned, it can be stressful, but also just incredibly exciting and exhilarating. Uh, you know, for you to find yourself in this position, um, this young in your life. Yeah, I would say that if you literally asked me, you know, even at the very beginning of this year, I would not have thought that I would be I would be doing this right now, like right here, right now. Um, yeah, I think that my expectations for what this year was was completely different. Um, but now that we're able to, yeah, once I was able to graduate, we um, again, like I said, I was in school. I was, um, I, I was a senior. And then when the pandemic hit, I did have to go back home. I'm in quarantine like everyone else. So when I came back home, um, I originally thought that I was going to, um, to move back to Michigan and to, to do that really important work there. And I thought I was going to start in June, but then since I was at home, I was like, Oh, well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it in May. You know, I'm gonna do it as early as I can because I'm not going anywhere. Like I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm not going outside. Um, we were quarantining. So yeah, so so many things changed really, really quickly. Like I graduated really quickly, and then right after that, I started working, um, and then yeah, and then things continued to just escalate. You know, obviously as we grow more, um, more volunteers, as our campaign just gets bigger and bigger, things escalate. So I think it's been really, really exciting, um, but also a lot to process. Like it really has been a lot, and especially because it's moved very fast. Um, like when one week is over, I just, I don't even remember what happened. Like we're like, we're just moving and moving. Um, but, but yeah, like, like you said at the same time, it, when I put in a grand scheme of things, it's just so, it, it's so exciting to think of. Like I just turned 22 and this is, um, this is my first job right outside of graduation. So not only is it like my first time as a field organizer, but also, you know, my first job like ever, um, well, you know, like a full-time job ever outside of, um, of school. So it is, it is really exciting. And I feel like after this, the possibilities are just, they're endless. Like there's so many things I can do now. Um, and, and all the skills that I was able to learn from, from this work, because even though it wasn't in person, there are still so many skills I was able to get from doing it virtually, right? Like, like having to be really creative, um, having to think of how to foster, um, relationships virtually, like how do I best do that? Um, all of those skills are just being really flexible with the ever-changing like pandemic and everything. Um, I think all those skills that I've learned and continue to learn, I'm going to take that with me wherever I go. I don't I don't know where I'm gonna go after this, but but I, I'm gonna take all the skills and all the experiences and all the relationships I've made, um, yeah, into the next phase of life, whatever it is. So it, it is really exciting. It's really awesome. Um and I do really need to re reflect on it more, honestly, because because it is a lot. 
Well, that's what post-election time is for. But, you know, if you can organize a battleground state in a presidential campaign and a pandemic, you can do just about anything. And I, I know the world will be much better off if we have thousands of Cindy Lins uh, who follow in your footsteps and, uh, and get involved. It doesn't have to be their career, right? But just but get involved uh, as, as you have. Uh, so we're thankful for what you're doing for, for the country. And, you know, if Joe Biden is elected president and Donald Trump is defeated and we take back the Senate and we... Uh, grow our majority in the House and we win back state houses, it's going to be because of 22-year-olds like Cindy Lynn all over the country are making it happen. So we owe you uh, and your colleagues a debt of gratitude. So Cindy, thanks for all you're doing for our country. Of course. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. <laughs>